All right, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 26. And um, we started a series last week where we're going to basically be looking at, at the week of Holy Week. And instead of taking it every day at a time, we're going to basically take it uh, a week at a time. So, again, this week will be the Thursday of Holy Week. And next week, so a whole week away, will be Friday. And we'll be looking at, at, at Good Friday. If you think about this, Jesus is a, is a man who grew up in relative obscurity and was born in humble means, but really lived a, a public life for about three years, just over three years. And yet here we are talking about uh, something called Holy Week, probably the most, not probably, the most talked about, discussed, blogged about, written about week in all of history. And so, once again, whatever your uh, perceptions about who Jesus is, uh, you have to look at this and say, wow, something went on this week uh, that as you look at newsstands, as you, as you watch TV, as you see things on billboards, as you discuss things with people, something went on this week uh, that is undeniably important. And, and, and that's what we're here today. Many of us are Christians, obviously, here this morning, and so we're here to celebrate and really think on on the resurrection. And our prayer this, this month is, God, would you allow us to see you, Jesus, in a fresh way? Would you help us to learn more of who you are and, and, and catch what is really going on? Last week was uh, talking about the triumphal entry, complete with balloons. And we had just the, the word was celebration, uh, because that's what was going on the week before the resurrection. Just a few short days before the crucifixion, a big party going on. Our king has come. The Messiah has come. And this week, we're, we're fast-forwarding several days to the Thursday, the day before his crucifixion. So it's called Maundy Thursday in, in Holy Week. And the word for today is confusion, because Jesus begins to talk and act in ways that surely must have caused confusion. And not just confusion, but we're moving toward Good Friday, where the word is despair. He's beginning to do and say some things that, that are awfully strange and are, and are causing some, some frustration. The big idea this morning that I, that I want to leave you with is this. As we walk through, here's, here's how the morning's going to go. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to let scripture just tell a lot of this story. We're going to look at some objects. We're going to celebrate communion as we are uh, every week this, this particular series. But as I, as I do that, I want you just to, to let it rest with you and think in your mind that the disciples don't know the whole story. And for us who get to know more of the story, it's really evident that as we talk through things, the word confusion is a really good word. Because that's what they were experiencing. They didn't know the whole story. But here's the kicker. Here's where I want your mind to go by the end of this morning is this. Neither do we. Jesus is more glorified today than he was when, when this week started, frankly. His time had not yet come. Remember that? Well, now his time had come, his hour had come to be glorified, and he was being glorified. Uh, but just as the disciples don't have the whole story then, neither do we have the entire story today. And so the word confusion isn't like just for the disciples where they were confused and now we have all the answers, but rather it's for us today as well. If you're in Matthew 26, here's what I want to do. I'm going to read some scripture um, and and talk through a, a couple of points. Think about the last time you were confused, by the way. Uh, I mean, really confused. Maybe it was this morning when you walked in. One person in particular, I won't point him out, but one person in particular is like, Come on, Dave. Like, you know, just let me sit in my normal seat for once, you know. I'm like, come on, we've had six weeks of that. Let's change it up. So are you sitting in your normal seat? Yeah. Maybe. 
I mean, it could be the exact chair. We've rearranged them, and you're like, I kind of like that one. You know, it fits my rear really good, you know. But we don't know. You don't know if you're in the right one. You're being confused walking this morning's pretty short term, right? There's, there's not, it's not a, that big of a deal. But maybe this week, maybe this month, there's been something that really, really has you confused. And there are actual consequences to it. Um, uh, as we, as we talk through these things, these are some, some big confusing points. Uh, once again, just to put yourselves in the place of the disciples, imagine uprooting yourself from your job. I left my job for this guy. I've left my home for this guy. I've been wandering around. I've been ups and downs with some of the things of this guy. And, and here he is starting to say and do things that we're taking just a left turn. I've got a lot invested in what's going on here. And, and all of a sudden things are, are getting confusing. You'll see uh, from experience. Now, here's the cliche. If you're confused, here's the pastoral answer. Here's the good Christian answer that John Garza would give you if you came to him and said, hey, I've got a question or this or that. Uh, here's, here's the right answer. The right answer is, if you're confused, you should go to Jesus and get answers, right? Go to Jesus. Now, sometimes you think, well, that sounds kind of cliche, but cliches work because there's a lot of truth to cliches. So going to Jesus with your confusion is a great thing. And many times, if you will come to me and say, Dave, I want to meet with you. I've got a problem to discuss. I've got a thing I want to pray through with you. I want to talk through with you. My first response will be this. Have you already brought it to Jesus? Have you already prayed and talked about it to God? Because that's the first place to run. Don't run to your pastor. Don't run to your mentor. Don't run to a book. Don't run to, to a friend. Run to Jesus first. But, as many of you know from experience... And certainly as we read the scriptures today, the reality is when you go to Jesus, aren't you often left with more questions? I mean, as we read the story today, people are going to come to Jesus and they're going to look for clarity and answers. And sometimes you come away and go, I've got 20 more questions uh, just from that encounter. But here's what I want to draw your attention to. That if you... Uh, if you go to Jesus with your questions, if you do what he says, that in time, not often right away, but in time, the, the, the real question you had wasn't even the right question. And Jesus has this way of reframing things and pulling things back and saying, here's the real question that you're asking me. And so when you're, when you're looking for that immediate, I need answers now kind of thing, uh, so often he pulls back and, and gives you something so much more. Let me read some scripture and see if you can track with what I'm saying. Uh, Matthew 26, 6. I'd love to have you follow along. Make sure I'm not making this stuff up. Matthew 26, 6 says this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, let me pause for one second. This didn't happen on the Thursday. I'm, I, there was a couple of events that happened that I had to sneak in, and this was one of them uh, that didn't actually happen on that Thursday. So even though we're celebrating Maundy Thursday and Holy Week, um, I'm, I'm getting this one in. Uh, Simon the leper, a, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why the waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. 
Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Powerful thought. An event that went on a long time ago to a guy we just described as something that was relatively obscure at the time. Not the ones in power, not the ones calling the shots, but actually an occupied people in an occupied land makes this proclamation. And today, we are a part of fulfilling this prophecy, aren't we? 2,000 years later, halfway around the globe, we are talking about what she did to honor Jesus that day and the gospels being proclaimed here. Isn't that powerful? I mean, people say this about sports all the time. We'll never forget this win. We'll never forget this game. And we forget it. I mean, it was really big in the moment. They'll talk about this one for you know years and decades and a lifetime. And then, you know, 15 years later on a best of games, it makes number 17. And we're like, oh, yeah, that game. It's just kind of a faded memory. Here's this act of worship that goes on. This woman comes and does this, this extravagant uh, act of worship, just honoring, honoring Jesus. That's all she was doing. And there was confusion, wasn't there? There was confusion by those who wanted to be really practical in the moment. The ones that wanted to be practical said, and maybe even from a pure heart, wow, that's a lot of money right there. That represents a lot of good things that could have been done. But they were confused in what season it was. There was a whole three-year period where Jesus loved the, 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 the poor and, and went to the marginalized and reached out to them and ministered to them from place to place to place. But his hour had come. This was a whole new season where God was doing something very unique and what had to happen and be fulfilled was going to go on. And so Jesus uh, was at odds with those who wanted to be practical in that moment. Surely it was confusing when Jesus said uh, that, that she is preparing me for burial. Now again, I'm sure some of those who were new to the scene probably thought, well, that's poetic. I wonder what that means. There's probably a parable to that somehow. But I wonder if the disciples who were picking up on these cues and clues that Jesus was, was going to, to the cross, probably heard that in a, in a different way, didn't they? What, what does he mean that he's being prepared for burial with, these, with these, this spice, this, this, this ointment? There's, there's a different part of confusion, and, and, um, and this, this right here represents it. This kind of touches on it. There's, there's confusion... Uh, that makes you say, huh? Like, I don't get it, right? I'm confused. Why, why would Jesus be talking about burial? Why, 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 why would that waste be a good thing to, to Jesus, this, this poor man? But there's another kind of confusion where a created being like us comes in contact in seeing a God of wonder at work in our midst, and it's not so much huh as whoa. And there's confusion, but the confusion is really more couched and framed in, in words like mystery and wonder and awe. And, and my thought is that if this is truly worth about, you know, a year's wages to someone, imagine a year's worth of wages coming and being poured out at church this morning. Not in a way that we could then take and start feeding programs in the, in the city that, that could be kind of measured and whatnot, but poured out in an instant to honor Jesus in some way. 
There's awe and wonder and mystery as a part of our confusion sometimes. Last week we, we talked about this in a men's group. We had a fun time kind of thinking about it. That really the application last week was this. That when Jesus said, hey, go on ahead and you're going to find this, this you know, uh, colt of a, of a donkey and, and go get it. And, and when someone asks you about it, here's what you're to say. And the disciples went and did as he directed. Right? That was our application. Disciples today, that's our application. Go and do as he's directed. There's a second one, which we won't take the time. You can read about later. But but he's going to prepare the Passover. And they say, where should we prepare the Passover meal? And he does the exact same thing. He says, there's going to be a room. You go up and say, the, 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 the master has need of it. And we'll celebrate the Passover there. And once again, the disciples go and did as he directed them. Now look down at verse 26, still in Matthew 26 today. It says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit, of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with my Father's kingdom. Certainly the center point and centerpiece of Maundy Thursday is the bread and the cup. It's the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now I don't know how you feel this morning uh, sitting in church looking at brothers and sisters, but this is the way we eat meals in our house, Right? We don't, we don't all sit and kind of look in one spot all at the wall or something or the TV or whatever else it might be. We sit at a family meal and we look at one another. And I don't know how many churches do this on a regular basis, but obviously over time it, it became more normal for, for people to kind of look in one direction. But here's what I know. I don't know if you found this to be true, but as I was worshiping, we have this focal point, and most often the focal point is right here. Now, we've intentionally kind of put a cross right in the middle of everything we do so that the focal point, uh, at least even in your peripheral vision, is a cross. But didn't you find yourself, even on songs that you kind of knew, kind of wanting to look up here? Where's a safe place I can rest my eyes and kind of look? Because it's a little weird to sing looking into the eyes of other people, right? And so on the table, we have some different elements that if you know the, the Easter story, you go, yeah, I'm kind of tracking with what some of these things are, um, But Jesus didn't leave us these elements. He didn't leave us some one thing that says, this is me. Uh, Because that would be so limiting. It would be so limiting if there was one icon that we just said, that's our religion. That's our, that's our God that saves. Maybe, maybe we'd be tempted in some way, shape, or form to, to turn it into kind of a golden calf, right? Where, where, where that becomes the sacred thing. Wherever that thing is, is where it's going to be good. I want it in my house this week. It's like the Stanley Cup or something. And we want to pass it around it. Let me just touch it. Let me kiss it. Let's all hold it. Let's take pictures with it. But Jesus didn't leave us one particular icon. Um, but what he left for us, and he just explained it in the text that I just read, he left for us this ongoing object lesson that as a community we come, we gather, and, and, we, and we celebrate this, this thing together. What's this thing? It's a shared meal. Isn't that a great thing? 
I mean, we've kind of turned it into, I know, kind of a smaller thing within a usually pretty formal gathering, but we have perfect biblical liberty to celebrate communion. We had some friends from the church over last night, and we just shared a meal. We could have very easily gathered together in a room and celebrated communion in that space, and it would have been perfectly biblical to, to, to do so. I love the uncomfortableness even. I won't do this every week to you. We'll, we'll kind of break it up because I know it's a little panicky and you're like, love the church, but we've got to find a different place. I just can't do that every week. Um, but but I, I, I kind of like the uncomfortableness even of kind of teaching in the rounds and, and having us be looking at one another. It's phenomenal to me to be able to stand up there on a week-to-week basis and go, wait a minute, you who sits back here, you don't know this person right here? I mean, you guys are like 25 feet away from each other every single week. But I guess you don't remember the back of their head very well because that's all you ever see, you know? And so sometimes coming together like this is is a really good thing. In just a couple of minutes, you're going to come and, and celebrate communion and um, and we have some some unleavened bread. Leaven represented sin, and so there was there was unleavened bread representing the fact that Jesus had no sin. And this week in particular, last week we celebrated communion. We're going to celebrate communion, but we're going to look at it in a different way. Don't worry, I washed my hands recently. Um, I can't say that for everyone in the room. I just don't know. Um, but here's what's going to happen: you're going to have an opportunity to come up. And you're going to have an opportunity to, to come and break the bread. And, and the focus this week is this, that as you take this bread and you break it, that you think about the fact that Jesus, as he described this, is breaking this piece off and he's giving it out to his disciples. And as you and I come up and break this bread into some pieces and snap off, you'll have to do smaller than that, and snap off a little piece for us to take, I want you to think about what Jesus just described with that bread. This body is broken for you. So the punishment and the wrath that's poured out on sin so that justice can be served is being absorbed by me for you. So as we come up and we break this little bread and we break a piece off, that's what I want you to be thinking about. He then goes on to say this, that all of you should drink of it. He's in the upper room. He's got his disciples with him. He wants all of them to participate in this. If this is the centerpiece, which, which it is, in my opinion, of what went on on this Thursday, there's probably a second piece that, that would be uh, just a, a close second. Obviously, communion was instituted this day, and so... And so it, it gets the headline, and, and, and rightfully so. But Jesus did something so radical and so different uh, on, on this next portion. I want you to turn over to, to John 13. That really, I would say, it gets, it gets a, a close second to, to what was going on. As Jesus is breaking bread and saying that this is my blood poured out for you, was there confusion going on with the disciples? I think so. I think all kinds of confusion, wondering what, what is it that he's talking about. But in just a few short days, so many pieces of the puzzle are going to click. And they're going to say, oh, man, the upper room, the Passover that we just celebrated, the Passovers that we've celebrated our entire life, we're starting to get it. We're starting to understand this. 
But as Jesus is breaking bread and pouring out blood and saying, this is my covenant, um, there's got to be confusion. John 13, this is a great wedding passage to kind of just think through. And, uh, and again, that would be perfectly appropriate to, to talk through and think of it in, in those terms since that's how Jesus uh, and the church are revealed. But let me just read this passage of Scripture to you. It says this in John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he came to depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him uh, all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Confusion. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, and put on his outer garment and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. When it comes to Jesus washing the disciples' feet, you've got, you've got Peter, who I don't even know where to begin when, when I talk about confusion with Peter. Um, he's confused on what's happening. He's thoroughly confused on how much cleanliness needs to be going on. Uh, you know, he starts by saying, never, none of that water is touching me. And Jesus says, well, if you don't have that happen, then you're not part of me. Then give me all of it. Well, now you're confused more. We don't need all of it. You know, you've already bathed, Peter. Chill out. So there's just, I mean, there's just a whole mound of confusion happening with Peter, right? Now, this is probably a little bit small of a towel for what Jesus used, because it says that he wrapped himself around it. Uh, but, but this is something similar to, uh, you know, you, you come and, again, you've been following, you've been following Jesus. You've been making statements that he's God. That's why everyone's in such an uproar. He just raised someone from the dead, and so people came to the triumphal entry to say, this is the one that raised Lazarus. You've been given the opportunity, like the crowds, to bail on Jesus, right, and go away when his teaching is really tough. And he says, you know, eat my body and drink my blood. He who doesn't hate his father and mother and brother and sister to follow me, he doesn't really love me. I mean, these really hard teachings, and they've stayed with him. They have the sense, they have a strong sense 
they, they know he's Messiah, and they're starting to piece together. Peter's already made this declaration, in fact, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they have a sense that God's in their midst with Jesus, even though he's not completely glorified. And then Jesus comes and wraps this towel around, loses the place and the title and the role and the position of a rabbi for a moment. And he gets down and he starts to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, this might be something like not just having your boss over for dinner, but the CEO of your company comes over for dinner. And the CEO of your company comes over for dinner, and after dinner's done, he starts clearing the table, and you say, no, no, we, we've, we've got that. You know, we've got some servants. Kids, you know, and uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that one's coming back to me someday. No, you, you say, no, Really, we, we've got that. And he insists and he keeps doing it. And then he heads into the, to the, to the kitchen and starts doing the dishes. And he's, he's working on all the dishes. Um, and, and there's a little bit of awkwardness to that. You think, well, that's not really your place to that. And this is starting to feel a little bit weird. Well, when he starts gathering the laundry, right, and doing the laundry, you're really kind of nervous about your job on Monday. I mean, really, you're thinking, I don't know if this is good. This isn't a really good thing. By the time he's washing the car, you're really leaning to your wife saying, honey, I think it's over. I, you don't, I mean, you would just be really nervous at this point. And, and surely Peter spoke up for the crowd. I mean, the other disciples, he was the mouthpiece. So if Peter was confused on what was happening, I'm sure the other ones were saying, I'm glad I didn't speak up and say that, but I was thinking it. I just didn't have the courage like, like Peter to say, don't wash my feet. This is really uncomfortable. Don't do this. Now, this is a real question, so you give me answers. What was Jesus what was Jesus doing? What? He was making himself a servant. Yeah? What else was he doing? He was teaching. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't think too hard about this. It's okay if you throw a stinker out. He was teaching, right? He, 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 was, he was showing what it, what it was to be a servant, and he took on the role of a servant. He was our servant king. What else comes to mind about what was Jesus doing with this pouring water in this basin and, and, and doing it? He was modeling it. Yeah. He was getting down low and he was doing it. He, he was showing, you want to see what a leader looks like as a Christian? You want to know what a leader that pleases God looks like? It's the one who gets down and actually does the dishes. It's the one who gets his or her hands dirty. And actually does the chore. Doesn't just talk about it from a high place while other people are doing it. It's the one who, who, who does it. He's actually giving us this, this new command even. Saying, as you've seen me do this, you do this for one another. You serve this way. Some of you know this from experience. But isn't it easier sometimes to serve those you don't know? Those, those poor people out there. I'm going to go on a trip, and for a week, I'm going to be on my best behavior. You know who's really hard to serve? Your younger brother or sister. Think about when you were growing up, and it was their chore to empty the kitchen trash. And you decided, not because mom wanted you to, not because dad was watching, not because you wanted to borrow your younger siblings, whatever. But you just thought, you know what, as a servant, I'm going to take their chore and do it for them. That's a hard person to serve. Sometimes within this body, it's harder to serve people in this body. You know why? You know each other's faults. You have a history with one another. They've never done that to me. Why on earth should I do that for them? But sometimes churches, families, will be really good at serving out there 
And then it's like pulling teeth to get anything like that to go on with one another. I would venture to say it's actually impossible without the Spirit of God to really work in you and begin to say, you've got the Spirit of the living Christ in you. The Spirit of Christ serves the disciples. He serves the ones that he is leading. Verse 12 is great. Look at verse 12. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? This must be, we have some teachers in the room. This must be like when you're teaching and this look is on their face. Uh, you know, I mean, it must have just been a whole room full of those looks because he's like, I mean, he knows they don't understand, but, but he's like, all right, here's a pop quiz. There's one question. Anyone get what's going on? Oh, you know, they're all just kind of there doing that. So, so he brings to light. Here's what he brings to light. He brings to light. I know there's confusion right now. I know this is totally out of the norm. You see why the word is, is confusion. Flip over to, to Luke 22 for just a moment. John's the only one that records that. But in Luke 22, it carries on this conversation about greatness. And in Luke 22, it's, it's clear that there's, there's more confusion. Because you just look down in 24, and it says this, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Uh, again, silliness, confusion. This is something like the star of the movie is there, and you were like one of the key grippers. I don't even know what a key gripper does, but they come up on the screen, you know, at the end, if you wait for all the credits. I don't even know what they do. It's the guy that goes and, like, cleans up when the makeup spills or something, and you're arguing with the other guy that cleans up when the makeup spills. You're like, I'm way better than you. Yeah, but I've got the better title. I'm the senior makeup cleaner. Who cares, right? I mean, that's a little bit of what's happening here when they're, when they're arguing about this. But Jesus speaks into this confusion. The disciples are confused about the nature of the kingdom. The disciples are confused about what greatness really is. And Jesus speaks into that. Talks about the greatest becoming the least. The greatest becoming like the youngest. And, and, and taking this role of service. And then he does this act. What's great is that um, in all of this, uh, you're, you're blessed, Jesus says, if you do these things. So not just if you talk about it. You're, you're blessed. God blesses you when you actually take up the towel and serve one another. Now, I think there's great validity, too. And we've seen powerful things with youth ministry of actually physically washing people's feet. It's a really, really uncomfortable thing. Especially for us, because some of you have weird feet things. You're like, I don't want anyone touching my feet. Some of you have weird feet things like they really, really smell. And you're like, I don't want to expose how bad my feet smell in any setting except my own. Thank you very much. So this morning, I opted not to do the actual thing of washing someone's feet. So breathe easy. Some of you are like, okay, I'm staying. You had your stuff all gathered. You're like, the second we do that, I'm out. Um. But there is something really powerful to actually mimicking that. And around the world, uh, this week, actually, uh, uh, you know, or in a couple of weeks, actually, on actual Monday Thursday, there will be people reenacting this. And as someone who's done that before, it, it really is a, a, a powerful experience to, to, to do that. And if 
contextualize it, meaning that obviously what was happening there was a very, very regular thing. You wore flip-flops around. It was a dusty place. When you enter a place, you need your feet cleaned, right? So it's not that odd of a thing there. Um, but, but what is it that we could do for one another just in that same way? And again, not assigning it out, not saying, well, I give at the church and I tithe pretty regularly so that others can get their hands dirty and kind of do the, the dirty work, but rather us going and just doing it and taking up the towel and doing that. And not for just people out there. You hear me talk all the time. We are an outward-focused church. I love you guys for that. I really do. It makes it a joy to serve here. Some of my pastor friends are struggling because they're like, man, this, this represents our church. Everyone's just inward focused. All we do is look at our own needs. We're just working on our own marriages. We're just talking about our own junk. We just want to make things better for ourselves. Every program serves us. And I quietly sit there and I thank God. I say, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for just surrounding me with a group of people um, who that's not currently our struggle. We're a young church. So I'll tell you the, the reality is there's a trajectory that we have to fight against because the trajectory is that you turn inward. But for a moment, I'm going to say let's not look outward on this. Let's, let's think about what Jesus was doing in the context he was doing it. He was doing it for the disciples. So you should do this for one another. And again, I, I could tell story after story of brothers and sisters in this room serving sacrificially for brothers and sisters in this room. Think about this, something as simple as a move. Hey, I'm moving. I need someone to help move me. Sometimes you could go hire movers for that, right? But the church could come along and say, let us come and move you. Let us take that off your plate completely. Can we just do that for you? There's a group of people here at this church who are nameless for the most part. You know what they do? Every single week, this church is cleaned because someone in this church some of whom are, are very educated. And there's no chance we could pay them by the hour what they make elsewhere. And they take up the towel. And you know what they do? They vacuum this floor. They clean our toilets. They empty the trash. They make sure this place is functional and spick and span. And they just want to do it because they just want to take up the towel. They just want to serve the brothers and sisters. So I, I would say this morning that while there's always room for improvement, I don't, I'm not rebuking anyone in this room. I think we're doing some great things in here by the Spirit of God that are going on. But let's press on and do that all the more. There was confusion for sure the first time that Jesus did that. I hope this morning that we marvel at our servant God. We sang a song, I think last week, um, how many kings? You know, how many kings would leave their throne to come and do what, what, what Jesus did? So as we marvel at our servant king, um, who was modeling a life that, that pleases God, um, I want to direct your attention for a moment to the fact that not everyone embraces this. And even at the table, there was one that didn't embrace this. Go back to John 13. And in John 13, just after washing Judas's feet, mind you, in verse 21, it says this. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking about. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, It is the one I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do it quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what, what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now it's interesting that the disciples are confused as to who would betray him. Sometimes we have this picture of Judas, like this beady-eyed guy, and he's like, <laughs> he's like a little leprechaun or something. Uh, uh, the, the reason you know that's not true is because the disciples were, were distressed. Who, who would betray Jesus? I mean, look around. The only one at this table are the inner circle. We all know each other. It's not one of us. There's confusion in there. little warning to you. Um, I've been retracking with an idea that's an old idea, but a reminded idea from a book I'm reading. That no one is more important to you in terms of what's said to you than you. Because you speak sermons to yourself all the time. You speak words of, of who you are to yourself all the time. There's an internal dialogue going on right now with the words I'm saying and saying, oh yeah, I remember that story. Or I don't even know if what Dave is saying is true. Or I'm really hungry. Or whatever else might be going on. And it's possible for you as a churchgoer, as an inner disciple, as one who's really, really close to the works of Jesus, to be having it in your heart to betray him, as Judas did. And Judas uh, had this internal dialogue going on. And as, as Jesus points out and predicts that someone's going to betray him, there's confusion. They don't know really who it is. There's also confusion about what he's going to do. What you're about to do, go and do it quickly. Right? They were confused. They didn't know what he's talking about. Is he paying for the meals? He take, you know, picking up the bill and paying for that. It must be a regular thing that he went out and gave to the poor, because that was another option that kind of came to their mind. They weren't clear what he was talking about. You don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 26, what we learn about is that this was a premeditated backstab. Uh, the the leaders began to look for a way to betray him, and. Someone saw the opportunity um, and, and began to think, I wonder at what price um, they, they would give me so that I could turn Jesus into them. And so he began to weigh the options. He went to them and they offered him, what, 30 pieces of silver, right? That was the price. Roughly the price of a slave is essentially the, the amount that, that they had given to him. And what, what Judas did next was he weighed his options. Didn't he have an internal dialogue going on long before he, he went and did this? Some of you have been backstabbed before by someone really, really close. It's one thing to have it happen kind of, you know, in the heat of something and, and it goes up. But this was premeditated. This was first degree. This was, this was Judas thinking about the cost and weighing his options. And he chooses the money. He chooses the immediate payoff of the money. He says, at least, I'll, at least I'll get something out of this thing. I'm on the inner circle. I think this is a lucrative position that I'm in. Maybe some in this room have had that same exact uh, crossroad presented to them, and you made the wrong choice. 
You chose the girl or the guy over your Lord and Savior. You chose the career path over really pursuing what you were pretty convinced God wanted you to do. Maybe by God's good grace, you've had a second chance at that. I mean, some of your stories in this room, it's powerful because you went the wrong way. You went 30 pieces of silver. And by the ever-abounding grace of God, you've had an opportunity to come back to that crossroads and say, I'll never sell out for 30 pieces of silver or a million pieces of silver again. Praise God for that. That's why when we take communion, that's why when we break the bread and drink the cup, that's why when we sing about a God of wonders, there's tears in your eyes, a lump in your throat, and a knot in your stomach because you go, I get it. I've been down that road. I've sold Jesus out. Never again. Maybe this morning there are some who are confused. Do you know that every false gospel is in direct competition with Jesus' gospel? Jesus comes and offers life. He comes and says, here is the good news. There's always competing things that are good news to you. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. There's confusion there. How do I know which way to go with that? Jesus might... Uh, or I might say it this way, especially looking at last week, one may lead to temporary happiness, which will betray you one day, which will sell you out one day. One leads to everlasting joy. And that's the face, or that's the, 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 the choice that had faced Judas that night. Now, surely those who didn't sell Jesus out had it pretty good, though, right? I mean, it's, it's a bed of roses for them. Let me just talk for, for a moment. Uh, flip open in your Bibles to, to Luke 22. We're back to Luke. This isn't really shared often. At least I haven't heard it shared often in the, in the Easter story. But here it is in our Bible. It's a guy I'm reading and he says, uh, he asks this question periodically of people. He says, how's your relationship with Satan today? He says he usually throws people off. <laughs> Some people get very indignant and say, well, how dare you even say that? But his point is this. Look at all the conversations Jesus has with Satan. There's all kinds of dialogue about our enemy, and we've talked about this a little bit uh, in the past few weeks even, just, just knowing the schemes of the devil. But in Luke 22, 31, there's, there's an interesting uh, exchange at this meal, and it says this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Verse 33, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. More confusion at this meal. Satan, the enemy, has demanded Jesus to sift Peter. Here's the good news. Peter is wheat. Remember the parable in Matthew 13 about the wheat and the weeds? There's coming a day when there's a separation coming, and Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. Growing up in our midst together, some who are wheat, true children of God, some who are weeds that have been sown in amongst the wheat. And there's coming a day when that separation will take place. Good news is, is that Peter's being sifted like wheat. Here's the confusion. Why didn't you tell Satan to get lost? Satan can't come and make demands of the one who, who holds the universe together. Why is there any allowance there? I don't have a great answer for that this morning other than this. 
there must have been, I don't know if you've been sifted lately, or maybe you're, you're kind of in the process right now. But what's happening inside of this little canister is, is a, a little metal blade that's kind of going like this over a screen. And something was going on where Jesus said, I'm going to allow some sifting to occur. You've already been separated from the, from the weeds. You're mine. You are wheat. But there's some sifting that I'm going to allow to take place. It will be under my authority, but I'm going to allow Satan to come and, and sift you in, in this moment. Certainly confusion. Uh, Peter was confused. He was somewhat confused about his own steadfastness, wasn't he? Man, I would die for you. I'll go to prison for you. He actually throws his friends under the bus in Mark 14. He says, look, though they all fall away, I'm staying put. Right? I mean, he's the spokesperson when it's good. He's the spokesperson when it's bad. I mean, if I'm sitting next to Peter, I'm like, what? Thank you. You know, what are you talking about? But Jesus reconfirms his prediction, lest there's any confusion. And he says, no, you're, you're going to deny me. Let me give you one more before, uh, before we, we move on. Matthew 26, turn there. As we're flipping through some of these different accounts, Again, my encouragement to you is even as you prep for Good Friday uh, next Sunday, be reading through the different accounts. Be reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and look at these different layers and textures. As they raise questions and whatnot, bring them to your community group. Pray over them. Think on them. Matthew 26, verse 46 says this. says, rise, let us be going, see my betrayers at hand. They'd left the meal, they'd sung a hymn, they'd gone out to a place they'd gone before, to this garden. He's told them to pray and watch. They were confused that this was the moment in history. His hour was now, and their eyelids were heavy. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came. One of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left and fled. Some of you are Peters in here. Some of you are like, something must be done. We need doers in a church, don't we? Ones that just are like, we need to do something is what we need to do. 
I don't know what it is, and it's probably the wrong thing, but we need to do something. Peter was a man of action. He sees the intense moment coming out. He pulls out his sword. He's probably not a good shot. Was he aiming for the ear? (laughs) I'm going to make you half deaf! You know? No, I don't think so. I think he was aiming for the skull and kind of missed, is what I think. So, so Peter's a man of action, and, and there's lots said and written that, that that's to be admired. But Jesus didn't understand the nature. I mean, uh, Peter didn't understand the nature of the fight, did he? I mean, all of a sudden, he's panicking and saying, man, we've got to do something. He's clueless as to what the real fight's about. Remember a couple of weeks ago talking about the mission of the church and what it is we're supposed to be doing? People, let's be people of action, but let's be people of action uh, under Jesus' authority. A couple of more things. He didn't understand the resources that were readily available to Jesus. I mean, a couple of disciples who were fishermen? That's not who, that's not who Jesus had at his disposal. Jesus had all the heavenly beings, one of whom comes. And any time you see this in the scripture, people fall down as dead people when they see these angelic warriors. He's got that at a moment's notice. So they're confused about the nature of the fight, totally confused about the resources uh, available to, to Jesus, and even confused about not following the lead of Jesus. If they look to Jesus, they see that he's not you know, rolling up his sleeves and going, all right, let's do this thing. Uh, they should have waited and just kind of followed his lead of what was going on. He predicted it. He said, all right, here we go, before there was a sign that, that, they, were, that they were there and coming. One more confusion. The crowd, the mob, that they thought they were coming to lynch someone, they were totally confused. They're coming with bats and fire and all, you know, who knows what else, coming to kind of get this guy. Jesus calls it out. He calls out the charades. says, come on, who, who do you think you're coming out to get? Have you not heard what I've been teaching this whole time? My kingdom's totally different than any of this. I'm not here to overthrow Jerusalem by force. Could, but mine's a kingdom of love. I'm going to woo you and win you with kindness, with gentleness, with meekness. Now isn't the time for that kind of victory. Man's ways are not God's ways. Jesus was on a mission, and those around him were clueless. I'm going to invite the band up right now. The band's going to get up back to the front. And as they do, let me just leave you with this. There's lots here. There's lots that's just been read in terms of from the scriptures. Remember what I've said. Remember what's been read. Reflect on what's been read this morning. As you come up and celebrate communion this morning, I would, I would invite you to come and break off a little bit of this bread. And be grateful for our servant king. As you do that, you can, you can look at these, at these different components of the story that are up here. Confusion has this ability in our lives to lead to a couple of different places. Sometimes confusion, certainly in spiritual matters, but in all matters, can lead to doubt, to frustration, sometimes as far as to despair, and sometimes to apathy. Man, I just keep going round and round in circles. I can't get why I can't connect with people. I can't get why I'm not succeeding at these dreams that I have. I can't get why I can't just get my family to function the way I think a family should function. I don't understand what's going on with me physically. And the doctors, the more I talk to them, I'm realizing they're as confused and clueless as I am. Despair. Apathy. 
certainly happens in spiritual matters. Gosh, there's competing verses in the Bible. There's deep truths. What, I, I just don't get it. That's too hard. Who can ever know? And so we sit back. But confusion can also lead to questioning, to asking and seeking and knocking, to keep pressing on into these things. It can also lead to revelation, that as you seek and ask and knock, God begins to reveal himself in deeper ways and partners with you in that. It also can lead to wonder and mystery and worship as we pursue understanding God. And ultimately, that leads to life. As the band sings the next couple of songs, and we have a season of response up here, my invitation to you is to come. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I would invite you to come to the table this morning and celebrate communion in your own time uh, as you would wish. Maybe this morning you're being sifted. And so maybe you want to come to the altar and you want to come and pray up on the stairs of the stage. If you, if you would go and do that, we have people that will come and just, and just pray with you. Come to the table and commune with Jesus. Come to the altar. Maybe some of you need to come to Jesus. Jesus knew why he was here. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And there's an indication there that says it's not just a blanket statement for all. So who is it that's in? John 1.12 says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know that today can be your first communion? No big celebration, no big fanfare, no big party. It's saying, I know that I am a part of that many who's covered by the blood of Jesus because I receive his message today. I commit my life to following him today. If that's you and you want to talk to someone about it, I'll be in the room. I'd love to talk with you about it. But you know who's most important to talk about it? Talk to about it with Jesus. And then you come and celebrate your first communion this morning. And maybe you've celebrated communion before and it hasn't meant a single thing to you. It's just been a ritual. This morning, it will mean the world to you. As you come to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for this week. And as we look back and think about what's gone on during this week, as we come to the table, as we come to the altar to pray out our confusions, as we come to you, Jesus, we praise you and thank you for being a good and gracious Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.